Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. That's his audience. Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself of twain or of two one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both to God the Jews the Gentiles in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the healing of the cross. God bless you. You can be seated. In the beginning, according to Genesis 1 and 27, God created man in his own image. Amen? In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. That's how God originally created us. Adam, Eve, paradise. But Satan tempted, Eve bit, Adam fell, and sin enslaved the human race. The relationship between God and man was severed by sin and the associated shame drove man into hiding. Our relationship with God, you can visualize it for the sake of my message today, is our vertical relationship between us and our almighty God. From that first sin, though, that was broken, that broke that vertical relationship, God gave a promise that one day a descendant of the woman would deal the devil a fatal blow and would bruise his head. So from the very beginning there is sin and there is a prophecy that a Messiah would come and that he would destroy the devil who was the tempter. The broken relationship between God and man caused dysfunction in the human family. In fact, in the very first family, there was enmity that existed between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, we don't think Abel was really a hateful brother, but Cain killed his brother over worship. He really did. That killing of a brother is called fratricide, and it fractured that family deep and wide. The word enmity means a deep-rooted hatred or an irreconcilable hostility. 
When the Bible uses the word enmity, it's not real common in our English usage today, but when you say enmity, you're talking about a gulf, a distance so wide that humanly it cannot be spanned. It cannot be joined together again. So from the beginning of the human race, we observe how our differences have divided us, and if your name was Abel, it destroyed him. Then we see this sin not only affecting our vertical relationship with God, but in Cain and Abel and ever since then, we see it affecting these horizontal relationships that we have with other people. It's not just an isolation. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We also are going together to heaven. And we're in relationships with one another. And those relationships were fractured by sin. The Ten Commandments is divided into two tables of the law. The first four commandments dealing with our vertical relationship with God. The final six dealing with our relationships with one another. God thought it was so important that when he gave those ten laws, he wanted us to know that it started with the right relationship with him, but it extended to a right relationship with other people. You could say that sin broke our relationship with God, but it also broke healthy relationships. And, and it erected a, a wall of partition that divided people from one another. You don't need me to tell you that our world has been and is filled with prejudice, hatred, hatred, a conquest for control. Amen? Killing of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Killing of other human beings and homicides. And then there's this word genocide. Genocide is more serious. It is a deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. You may have heard the phrase ethnic cleansing. We're going to wipe all of them out because they're inferior to us. We hate those people. And I would like to say that it is a myth, but it is not a myth. It is a reality on planet Earth. And even infanticide, the killing of babies that Pharaoh did in the days of Moses. And Herod did in the days of Jesus. I saw these sides, you know. And C-I-D-E is borrowed from a Latin. It means to be to a killer or to kill. And it is used to form these compound words that describe how humans take the lives of other people because of this enmity, these conflicts. This hatred that exists. The Bible is more honest than we are sometimes. It doesn't hide the sins. It doesn't hide the dysfunction. The Bible said that God made of one blood all nations for to dwell upon the face of the earth. But from that time till now, those nations have splintered, fragmented, and culture groups. But if you go into the Bible... Cain kills Abel. Esau and Jacob have enmity between them. Joseph's brothers hate him. We're going to kill him and sell him into slavery. The prodigal son finally comes back home only to meet an older brother who's still not forgiven him. Our Bible tells us 
about world empires that, that conquered the entire globe for the sake of political power. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the future revived Roman Empire, all of these that were visualized in Nebuchadnezzar's image tell us that mankind is not content to stay in his own boundaries or borders, but wants to cross over and do damage to someone else, to take precedence or priority over, to enslave his fellow man or woman. I was interested in this idea of genocide because you see this through history. Uh, back in the days of Esther, Haman tried to wipe out all the Jews in the entire world. I read of numbers, and there's too many to name, but from a decreasing number of people killed, the, the Mongol invasions from 1206 to 1405, that 11% of the world's population was killed either during or immediately after those Turco-Mongol invasions. 37 to 60 million people died because of a thirst for power and conquest of other people. Shocking, hard to fathom. We may remember by history Nazi Germany killing uh, then the Polish Gentile population uh, somewhere between 6 to 10 percent and then an additional 3 million Jews, Polish Jews that were killed during the Holocaust. Hitler's Nazi Germany killing 6 million Jews. There was a Cambodian genocide that killed between 15 and 33 percent and then every continent Virtually every nation that you could think about that is a major nation, there has been this desire, this genocide to wipe out peoples who are different than us. For whatever reason, it doesn't make sense, but I can trace it back that when that vertical relationship between God and man fell, something horizontal was broken as well. We live in a world that has not just fallen in sin, but we live in a world that is fractured by broken relationships, by dysfunction, by hatred at every level. I'm not trying to build a point in a sermon. I'm telling you that's where we are. There is no political answer to the enmity that exists between people at all levels of society. Pointing to the end time, Jesus said, and there you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. If you think that humanly it's going to get better between now and the catching away of the church, you should read the prophecies of Jesus again. Jesus said that Christians will be hated of all nations for my namesake and many will be offended and will betray one another and they shall hate one another. People who call themselves Christians will give in to the delusion of many prophets that will arise who will be false prophets. But I want you to see at this point in my message that this is the history of the planet. This is the history of civilizations. And in our current culture, in 2021, I think we all know that we do not have peace on earth, around the globe, and at home. There is enmity that divides relationships and destroys lives. We see in our culture a polarization where people are pulled to extreme positions. 
There seems to be no common sense middle and mutual respect and love. You either in or out. You're canceled if you don't buy into the contemporary culture. Far right, far left, cancel culture, woke culture, this supposedly watchdogs of injustices in our culture. Racial tensions, cultural tensions, social issues over abortion, over transgender rights. And then we deal with a pandemic and it turns into a cultural crisis because those hate those that wear a mask or don't wear a mask and will comply or won't comply. Everything seems to be geared toward divisiveness. And I'm not trying to paint an exorbitant picture, but you can go back to what happened in the original sin and say that mankind has been marked, not just by the breaking of that vertical relationship but by the horizontal relationship as well. It angers me that there are so many people who are being exploited by those who have an agenda to try to procure power, eliminate enemies, and deeply divide our nation for no good cause at all. That is where we are. It begins with fractured families just like it did in the beginning with Cain and Abel. And the fabric of our country that is rooted in the traditional family that God created, man and woman, and the family from there. That family has been undermined. That family has been fractured by divorce, by infidelity. And so now that is played out onto the national stage. But there is a deep divide. And hurt in our country. It is caused by sin. It is caused by families. And it is traced back to the garden of Eden. We should never forget. From our experiences. That hurting people. Tend to hurt. Other people. But these cultural conflicts. That we're facing. In our day. Are not unique to our times. Historically. The conflict has never been more pronounced than it was in the days of Jesus Christ and in the days of the early church. But back then, it was Jews against everybody else. They are God's chosen people. Abraham's seed and everybody else, you're just dogs. Well, that would include me because I'm a Gentile too. But you see this cultural conflict on full display. You see it in the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. When she says to Jesus, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We're not supposed to be talking because we don't get along. You see it in the woman of Canaan who comes to Jesus and he answers her in a, in a, in a really un, uh, unusual way. He said that, you know, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she worships him. And he said, it's not proper for me to give the children's bread to dogs. She said, okay, I guess to the Jews I'm a dog. But you know, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I'm glad for somebody who refused to be offended. Jesus said, you have great faith. And she got a great miracle. Amen. And you see it in that story and, and through the Bible. You see it in the early church from from Acts chapter 10 on, especially when Cornelius, a Gentile man, an Italian, is praying and, and God speaks to a Jewish preacher, Simon Peter, who's also praying. And he sees a vision and 
You know, I won't go into the details of the story, but the Lord tells Peter, there's someone coming for you and go with them, nothing doubting, I've sent them. So he goes with them to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, someone with whom he would normally never eat or fellowship. And in Acts 10.34, Simon Peter says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Well, thank you. You preached that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. So it's happening right now, but you're struggling with what you preached. I've never done that. He preaches, minding his own business. The Holy Ghost falls while he's preaching. Everybody knows that these Gentiles have received the Holy Ghost. He grudgingly baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 11, he gets called in on the carpet, sort of. And they're saying, what were you doing going to these Gentiles? You're of the circumcision, the Jews. And, and you went to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles. And Simon Peter rehearses the story. And he said, it wasn't my fault. Not really, but it was God that did this. And I was just preaching. And they got the Holy Ghost just like we did at the beginning. And how could I withstand God? I baptized them. They said, well, it looks like God is also... To the Gentiles, granted repentance unto life. Well, that's a great time to wake up. Eleven chapters into the book of Acts in the history of the church. Acts 15. There's a council that's called together to discuss what the church was going to do with these Gentiles. These uncircumcised, now Christians. And there's some that are going around teaching that you've got to follow the entire ceremonial law plus obey Acts 2.38 in order to be saved. So there's a big discussion that goes on and uh, much disputing, the Bible says, in Acts 15. And finally, the apostle Peter stands up. And he rehearses to them how this reluctant Jewish preacher went to Cornelius' house and that by his mouth the Gentiles have heard the gospel and the Lord gave them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and he made no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And he said, we shouldn't tempt God in this matter. Now, there was a decision that was made there, but, but Paul and Barnabas, they got up. And they said, well, let, let us tell you what God is doing among the Gentiles. There are miracles and signs and wonders. And these Gentiles, these social outcasts, to Judaism are being saved. It was not easy. It was a struggle, but that early church wrestled their way through to an understanding that God is no respecter of persons. And anyone, anywhere, who will turn from their sins and repentance can find salvation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, what your social standing is, what your national background is. Amen. Let everyone come and take the water of life freely. Amen. Now my subject today is on the healing of the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him 
stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. His death brought healing to the whole scope of human suffering. Spirit, soul, body. Verse 4 of Isaiah 53 speaks of our griefs, our sicknesses, and our sorrows, our pain. Those are not sin issues. But Jesus went to the cross for the burdens that we bear in our lives. For the stuff, the baggage of our life. Verse 5 speaks of our transgressions and our iniquities and we need peace that comes from the Prince of Peace and with His stripes we are healed. I believe that stripes really deal with the spiritual healing of man. But the Bible teaches that God came to save all of us. Spirit, soul, body, as I've already said. So He restores that vertical relationship with Almighty God. And then He gives us healing for the hurts, for the dysfunction, for the fractured relationships in our lives. Amen? He can heal your mind. He can heal your emotions. He can go back to 20 years ago or 40 years ago to a moment of abuse. And He can heal your spirit. He can heal your emotions so that you do not have to limp through life a cripple emotionally. With His stripes, we are healed. When Jesus died, the Bible said in Matthew 27 that that veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn from top to bottom. It opened the way of access into the presence of God. The writer of Hebrews gave insight into that veil and the flesh of Jesus Christ. He tells these Hebrew Christians, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. His torn flesh was really what mattered. The veil was symbolic of that barrier that stood between us and God. And on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins and His torn flesh opened the access that we can come to God. We have a high priest, He said. And we can draw near with a true heart of full assurance. Everybody please say that vertical relationship. That vertical relationship between God and man was open. We have access by the blood of His cross. And the entire month of March, I've been preaching on the cross of Jesus Christ and barely scratched the surface. But something else happened in the cross of Jesus Christ in the shedding of His blood. It is in our text today that I read from, and I want to walk through this because I believe it is significant to us personally, to our culture, to what God wants to do in our world today. Wherefore, verse 11, remember... That you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called 
uncircumcised. Doesn't that call sound condescending? You're called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision. The Jews are calling you uncircumcised. At that time, before Christ, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. Before Christ, you were not only separated from Christ, you were separated from the body of Christ because it was all Gentile and nobody would let you in. That's how it was. But now, he says, verse 13, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were on the outside looking in. You couldn't get close. But now by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been brought near to Almighty God. Verse 14. For He is our peace. Now, peace, you know, sometimes you say, I've got a peaceful, easy feeling. I feel peaceful. Doesn't it feel peaceful out here? There's a babbling brook and we're all chilled out. But peace in this context, in many places in the Bible, does not just mean you're feeling good today. It is the absence of conflict. It is that there has been peace made by two opposing armies or parties, right? So he made peace by the blood of his cross. But in this verse, he is not talking about our peace with God. He's talking about our peace between people. He is our peace who hath made both one. What's both? Uncircumcision, circumcision. Jews and Gentiles. He's made both one and he has broken down that middle wall of partition that was between us. Please make sure you see that. And he abolished in his flesh the enmity. In other words, he says there is a lot of animosity, enmity, hatred that existed between Jews and everybody else. But by his cross, not only did he give us access to the vertical relationship with God, but something horizontal happened in the cross that healed relationships that had been fractured with people. He abolished in his flesh the enmity and he defines it. The law of commandments contained in ordinances and to make in himself of two one new man or people so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity. In other words, in the cross, Jesus put to death that animosity, that hatred, that prejudice that separated people groups. Then he says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I'm thankful that today I can come into church and I can worship God in spirit and truth. I can draw near to Him because my sins have been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you thankful that God has washed our sins away? Amen. But I'm also glad for the work of the cross. 
that gets something like this, that I can come in here with you, and it doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what language group you came from, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter any of that. We are one in Jesus Christ. He tore down. He tore it down, that middle wall of partition that separated people. Amen. To the Jewish people, that partition kept everybody away. That middle wall of partition was high, wide, thick. And Paul said in verse 14, it was between us. Now, I understand he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But maybe it's never happened to you, but sometimes people get a middle wall of partition that separates them. It causes infidelity. It leads to divorce. It causes families to be fractured, misunderstanding, hurt, wrong. Amen? It causes racial tensions and culture wars. It causes wars from nation to nation and people to people. It leads to genocide where someone says, you know what, they're the competition. We'll just kill everybody like that. I don't think it doesn't exist among us now. Jews on one side, everybody else on the other side, Gentiles, middle wall of partition, dividing them. Paul says that's what it was. But Jesus came and he preached peace to us. And he demolished. He destroyed. He tore down that middle wall of partition. Now in our church we have a saying. There's a place for you. In the early Jewish church and before Christ especially, they, they had a saying that would have been similar. There's a place for you if you're a woman. There's a place for you if you're a Gentile. And we've got this nice wall built right here. There was a wall in Herod's temple. And outside the wall, here's the most holy place, holy place, Outside that wall, that is the court of the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you can come into our church as long as you stay on the other side of the wall. we got a place for you, all right? It's just like that. And we're going to keep you there because you're not of the seed of Abraham and you're not worthy to cross the wall and come on this side. The Jewish first century historian named Josephus, talked about this middle wall of partition in Herod's temple. He said that it encircled the higher ground which contained the inner courts of the temple. So if you're a Gentile, you're never going to go any closer than that wall would keep you out. He said attached to that wall at various intervals were notices that were written in Greek and Latin and it warned Gentiles, do not proceed any farther without the threat of death. Now you say, well, that's just a historian. But believe me, the Apostle Paul knew that that wall meant something. And if you brought a Jew and a Gentile into the temple, there were consequences to pay. It was an imposing, tangible reminder that we're God's people and you're not. And we may loan you a place in the outer court, but you'll never be on the inside. You'll never be one of us. Acts 21, Paul was taking a vow 
seven days. At the end of that seven days, some of the non-Christian uh, Jews saw Paul in the temple. Now, he's a Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had a right to go in there and worship. But earlier, they had seen Paul outside the temple in the city there. And he was with a man named Trophimus, who was a Gentile from the city of Ephesus. He was an Ephesian. So here's Paul. He's a Christian. Trophimus is a Christian. They're probably sitting down to, you know, some, some good old food one day or talking or walking down the street. And those Jewish spies saw Paul, you know. Oh, he's hanging out with a Gentile. They accused him, falsely accused him, of bringing Trophimus into the temple. They arrested Paul. And from that time to the end of his life, he was on and off a prisoner. So Paul understood when he wrote these words that Jesus Christ has torn down. He has demolished this middle wall of partition. Trophimus has been on the outside looking in. But in the church, there is no middle wall of partition. There is nothing that separates the haves from the have-nots. It doesn't matter if you were raised in the church or you were saved last week. It doesn't matter who you are. You have been brought close by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we ought to celebrate that right now because we were all on the outside looking in. So I want you to see this. That in the death of Jesus Christ, in his cross, he not only tore the veil that gave us access into the presence of God, he tore down the middle wall of partition that destroyed relationships between people at every level. And that is what is wrong in families, in countries, in churches. Where people draw lines about who's worthy and who's not. Who's acceptable and who's not. In the early church, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, don't give offense to the Jews, the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. He made a differentiation. He said, there's those Jews and there's those Gentiles and then there's us, the church. And everybody's welcome here. You can be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your social class is. You are invited to be a part of the church. And in the early centuries, the Christians started describing themselves as a third race of people. No longer identified as Jews or Gentiles, but self-identifying as the church. Are you a Jew? No, I'm in the church. Are you a Gentile? No, I'm in the church. What's your national heritage? Well, I have one. I'm not ashamed of it, not all of it anyway, but I'm part of the church. I'm in the body of Christ. I was on the outside looking in, but now there's no middle wall of partition keeping me out. He reconciled both unto God. By the example of these two disparate groups of Jews and Gentiles, bringing them together, they were so... There was so much hostility, so much enmity, that when he destroyed that, he set the example. The bar is so high 
that there is no other relationship that cannot be healed in the cross of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of issues in our world that need to be laid at the foot of the cross. Every sin issue that has broken that vertical relationship with God needs to be brought to the cross. There needs to be repentance so there can be forgiveness. But there are a lot of other relationships that are fractured horizontally that also need to come to the foot of the cross. There's some middle walls of partition. It might be between a husband and a wife. It might be between parents and children. It might be between siblings like Cain and Abel. And you can go on and on and play that out just as far as you want to go because the implications of it are far and wide to every relationship on our planet. But every one of them need to come to the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus destroyed that enmity. And if you will repent of anger, hatred, bitterness, of offenses that you've caused other people, and if you will, forg- if you will forgive those who have wronged you, if you will humble yourself and ask God to heal you of your hurts, of your offenses, then God will tear down that middle wall of partition. I want to drive home just a few more moments about this church that we're in. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as many, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. There's no exclusive club in the church. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond or slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now there are roles and relationships, but no one is a second class citizen in the church. Colossians 3.10 And it put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge. You heard about that a few Wednesday nights ago. After the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is everything. Christ is all and he is in all. There's not a Holy Ghost for whites, one for blacks, one for Asians, one for Indians. When you got the Holy Ghost, you got one God that filled every person with the same spirit. Hang on a second. And when you go to heaven, it will not be partitioned off by races or cultures or language or social standing. We will all go to heaven together and you might be surprised. Because God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. There's one heaven for everybody who has come to Jesus Christ. 
Why don't we thank God for that right now? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Scythians were the lowest class of all. But Paul said in Colossians 3.11, I just read it, that in the church, we don't sit Jews here, Greeks there. All you barbarians, stay over there. We're kind of scared of you still. Scythians, on the other side of that wall, some of you still haven't learned hygiene. You're, you're the lowest social class of all. But in the church, we love one another. We tolerate one another. Forbear is the Bible word. And we want to go to heaven together. So that's why we make sure we don't hate anybody. We don't have animosity with anybody. We thank God that Jesus tore down the middle wall of, the, of that uh, of partition. And he destroyed the enmity that existed between people groups. Amen. So today, our world is looking for someone, some people who get Christianity right. I'm not saying we're the only ones. They're looking for people who love unconditionally, unconditionally, who look past. Most of us aren't blind, but we look past things that would divide us to the one thing that unites us and that is that we have all been covered by the same blood filled with the same spirit we've been placed into one body the body of Jesus Christ in the earth headed to one heaven where there will be people from every language culture, nation, tribe, kindred amen we're all going to go to heaven together or we're not going to heaven I believe the Bible is clear that our highest identity and allegiance should be to Jesus Christ and his church. That I am a Christian above everything. Got a little Greek in my background, not enough. You know, that's why I'm probably short. Yeah, you're Greek. A little Irish in my background, didn't wear green on St. Patrick's Day and got pinched because of that by my grandkids. My great-grandmother's name was Kelly, so... There's some Irish back there, but, but everybody has a background. Everybody has a heritage. Some things we might be ashamed of, we don't really want to know. Some things we might be proud of. Being a Christian does not mean that we disown where we came from. It just means that we have a higher value of where we're going. Let's pray right now. Lord God. I pray in Jesus' name right now, God, that you would heal our land, that you would forgive our trespasses, that you today, Lord, would help us be ambassadors of yours in our world. I pray, Lord, that you would destroy 
the biases and prejudice, Lord, that we carry in our hearts that are holdovers from our life before Christ. Lord, just as you dealt with your early church, I pray that you would deal with your end-time church, that you would help us, Lord, be a light of love in a dark world of alienation and hatred and polarization. I pray in Jesus' name that you would forgive us, God, that you would save us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would experience the healing of the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sitting here today and watching online, I guess we could kind of say that there are the offenders and there are the offended. And probably all of us are in both camps at one time or another. Or we have offended someone, whether unintentionally or intentionally. We have been condescending of others. We have been the offenders. And today we need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive us. On the other side of that, probably everyone here could say that at least at once in our lives, we've been hurt. We've been the offended. But the offended person can harbor unforgiveness, resentment that turns into bitterness that is self-destructive. And we hold the offender hostage failing to release them because we're punishing them for what they did to us. But you're not really punishing them. It's a cancer that kills you. So I would like for us to pray, everyone, and ask God if we need to ask the Lord to forgive us for offenses that we have caused. We need to ask Jesus to forgive us. And if we have been offended and it's undermining our faith and love and view of the church, view of Jesus Christ, we need to ask the Lord to help us let go like Jesus did on the cross, as Stephen did before he was stoned to death. Forgive those 